Kingdom House, Central Campus, you guys doing great today? It's great to be here with you. Are you excited about Liberty? Man, we get to change some lives. If you haven't got your, your Liberty shirts, check them out. They're out there in Salt Resources. You can go grab one of those today. I think last week when we rolled them out, we sold out like in five minutes. So um, go get your shirt. They're amazing. And uh, I'm pumped up about Liberty, y'all. We're going we're gonna to change some lives this year, amen? It's going to be incredible. Well, my name's Olin Carter. Um, I serve here on our teaching team. And if you are new to Freedom House, something that is very special about our church is that our senior pastors have this just crazy, audacious vision to equip and empower everyone to be a part of the vision here at the church. So it's not about one person. It's about a team of people. And that's why we have a teaching team. And so I always like to take a moment and just give some honor to our senior pastors, Pastor Troy and Penny Maxwell. Can you guys give them a hand clap? Give them some honor. I just love them so much and their vision. Um, that just includes all of us in this. And before we jump into God's word today, I do want to recognize we have our online campus with us today. And we have people joining us right now in New Hampshire, New Jersey, North Carolina, Virginia, Pennsylvania, Florida, Georgia, Vermont, New York, Michigan, Illinois, and Uganda. Give it up for them. I'm assuming that's Sarah. If that's Sarah, we love you. Very proud of you and everything you're doing in Uganda. Um, but I'm pumped up today, guys. Um, I, I get to, to talk about something today that I am incredibly passionate about. We're in this series called Firm Foundation. Everybody say Firm Foundation. And in this series, we're teaching on the eight primary spiritual disciplines. I'm going to cover them. They were in the the video you just saw, but I'm going to cover them for you real quick. Worship, prayer, fasting, community, generosity. How many of you were here last week for Pastor Troy's message? It was awesome. If you didn't see it, go watch it. Um, I was preaching at South End, but I watched it this week. Incredible message on generosity. Um, Study, which is what I'm going to talk about today. Rest. And confession. And so I'm going to jump right into God's word. I want to encourage you today to take some notes. I'm going to share some resources with you, and I'm not going to put them on the screen because you got to write them down. So I'm going to give you some videos. I'm going to give you some resources you can purchase, some things like that that will help you in how to study God's word, but I'm not going to put them up on the screen because you got to write them down. And for those of you who write them down, if others don't, don't help them after service. Just say, nope, you should have taken notes. I'm just kidding. You can help them. All right, let's jump into God's word. This is uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. It says, by his divine power, God has given us some things. A few things. A couple of things. No, it says he's given us what? everything we need for living a godly life. Man, we could just go home right now. That's good, isn't it? God has given us everything. We don't have to go looking for it. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. We know that's Jesus, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us, it keeps getting better, great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. See, the point of the, pre, the, the great and precious promises is not for us to drive a Bentley. It's not for us to have the biggest, largest life in the world. That's, all these things are great. If God blesses you, that's wonderful. Amen? 
wonderful to be blessed like that. But he tells you the point of the great and precious promises is so that we can partake in his divine nature. See, in the Old Testament, it was all about what God could give you, the the Abrahamic blessing. I will bless you coming in. I will bless you going out. I will bless your flocks. I will bless everything you put your hand to. Amazing blessing. But what's even better in the new is it's not just about getting what God's got. It's about becoming who he is. See, the new covenant is not just about getting God's stuff. It's about getting God's character. And he says, so I've given you these these great and precious promises. Why? So you can share in his divine nature. You can escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. He says in verse five, in view of all this, in view, taking this full perspective of how good God is. Can I get an amen? God is good. He says, viewing all these these promises, viewing the salvation that you've received from God, in view of all this, what does he say? Make every effort. And that's where a lot of us mess up right there because we're not making every effort. He says, in view of all this, in view of all God's blessings, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Respond to God's promises. He says, supplement or add to or build onto your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for one another. We're to add and add and build and build on this firm foundation. We've got a firm foundation in Christ for a reason. It's not just to receive things and sit in our blessings. No, God says we are to respond to these great promises. He says, look at how good God has been to you. And then what? Respond. Do something with it. Build on it. Add to your faith. He says in verse 8, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. Man, I don't want to be blind and short-sighted to you. I don't want to forget the things that God has done for me. And because I'm so thankful for what God has done in my life, I want to add to the faith that he's given me. I want to build on this firm foundation. I believe that how God gave, how extraordinary, how generously that God gave to us should determine how we respond to him. God gave, he didn't hold back when he gave to us. He didn't hold back when he gave to you. He didn't look at you and and he wasn't stingy, he didn't, He didn't get alligator arms. No, he gave, right? Man, he gave generously. And because God gave generously, that is how we should respond to him when we receive his grace. The title for today's message, if you're taking notes, the title is How to Get Stuck. How to get stuck. You're thinking, well, I don't want to get stuck. Yeah, you do. You just don't know it yet. You want to get stuck so bad you can't even stand it. You want to get stuck? Man, getting stuck is fun. I'm going to teach you today how to get stuck. What do you mean get stuck? Well, recently, 
I had one of our leaders call me and this person said, hey, I just wanna hang out. I've got some questions for you about studying the word. And I said, awesome, let's do it. So we had breakfast together and this person is somebody that I really love and I really have seen a hunger for God's word. And he said, you know, man, I just, I love reading the word. And I said, well, what's the issue? What's your question about how to study the word? Like what's tripping you up? And he said, well, sometimes when you preach or when Pastor Troy preaches or some of our other teaching team, y'all are just preaching, you're, you're breaking down the scripture. And he said, you'll say, hey, I was reading in Romans. I was reading in Philippians. I was reading here and I got stuck. And I had to go deeper into God's word. I had to dig a little deeper because I got stuck. And he says, what do you mean by that? What do you mean you, you got stuck? And, and how can I get stuck? And I said, man, great question. Great question. How can I get stuck? Because you see, getting stuck in the Bible is a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing, getting stuck in the Bible. Now, why am I calling it getting stuck? Because if I called it how to thoroughly study Scripture, by the time you ate lunch today, you'd have forgot about it. But two weeks from now, you're going to be thinking how to get stuck because it's going to stick in your brain. We need to get stuck. We need to get captivated by God's Word. Any of you ever heard of the, um, the TV show 24? Kiefer Sutherland, remember that one? I had never seen the show, and so when they were coming out with the second season, I had heard all about the show, but I never got to watch the show. I was just too busy. I never got to watch it, but I kind of wanted to. You know, it looked interesting, and so when the second season was coming out, what they did, and they often do this with shows, they did a 24-hour marathon of season one. So they started at like 10 p.m., and they started showing every episode and I think I was sick or something. I don't remember because I'm like never home, but I was just stuck at home. I remember I couldn't go anywhere. I was just home. It was like a Friday night or something. And I started watching it and I watched, you know, like the first or second episode. I think I, I missed one of them, but I started watching it. And how many of you have ever seen the show? They end every episode with a cliffhanger, right? So you've got Kiefer Sutherland and it's always like he's about to like stab somebody in the knee with a pair of scissors or something. He's like torturing him because he wants to like get the information. And he was the best angry dude ever, you know? He's always yelling at him at the end of the episode. It's like, where's the bomb? And you're like, I need to know, you know, like, where's the bomb? And so the first episode ends and Kiefer Southern is like, where's the bomb? And I'm like, I gotta know where the bomb is. I don't know where the bomb is. And so I watched the next episode. And then I watched the next episode. And then I watched the next episode. And next thing you know, the sun is coming up. My wife is like coming into the living room and I have never done this before. She comes in there and I'm like eye twitching, you know, blood, bloodshot eyes. And she's like, what in the name of God are you doing? Did you not come to bed last night? And I'm like, I gotta know where the bomb is. Like, I gotta, I gotta know. I got stuck. I couldn't stop watching it. I stayed up all night. I watched every single episode. I couldn't stop, Right? And there's this thing out now with, with Netflix called binge watching. Any of you ever binge watch a show? Man, people, people today, man, they get stuck on a show and they just binge the show. I mean, they'll sit there for eight hours watching a TV show. And here's the thing, guys. If we can binge Netflix, we should be able to get a little stuck in God's word. 
If we can binge on 24, I can get stuck in God's word. It's not too much to ask to spend an hour or two hours or three hours or four hours or five hours or six hours. Come on. Seven hours, eight hours in the word of God. Nothing wrong with that. Sometimes you need to get captivated by the book. You just need to get captivated. You need to get stuck where you're on a Saturday and you start reading your Bible. And the next thing you know, it's like, what are you doing in there? And it's like three, four hours have passed and you're still reading the Bible. I'm going to teach you today how to do that. You want to get stuck? Let's get stuck. Getting stuck is when we move beyond just reading the word to studying the word. And you notice in our, our series, we're, we're talking about these spiritual disciplines It's not a spiritual discipline to read the Bible. It's to study. The discipline is to study. So what are some ways we can get stuck in God's word? All right, number one, if you're writing some notes down today, number one, way we can get stuck, pay attention. Everybody say, pay attention. We gotta pay attention. Pay attention to passages that seem to contradict something you believe or another scripture. Pay attention to passages when you're reading your Bible. Pay attention to passages that, I use the word seem because God doesn't contradict himself. But you're going to read the Bible and sometimes you're going to run into a passage of scripture that seems to contradict something you've been taught, something you believe, or another scripture you've just recently read. When that happens, listen to me, don't just keep reading Don't just keep cruising on by like, well, that doesn't seem to fit with, oh, well. I got to check the little box on my devotional list. And if I don't keep reading, I'm not going to get anywhere. Listen, it doesn't matter how much Bible you consume if you don't get anything out of it. If you don't grow in your understanding of of God, of the book, of your relationship with Christ, if, if, if he's not challenging you, if you read a passage and you get nothing out of it, what is the point? You've got to stop when you see those little things. So the other day I'm reading my Bible, Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, and God says something absolutely just blew me away. He says, he says Noah is a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Man, I slammed on the brake so hard, I flew through the windshield and just did like this down the highway. I was like, what? God, wait a minute. Are you, what is going on? Because a few verses before, God had just said that the heart and inclination of men was wicked, totally wicked. He was going to flood the earth because he said every person was wicked. But then here, he says Noah is a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And I know in Romans chapter 3, the Bible says none is righteous, no, not one. So what the heck? What is God talking about here? I got stuck. I had to read. I had to study. So I started digging in. Next thing you know, an hour's passed by, and I'm just digging into God's word, and God showed me, hey, read a few chapters ahead. Abraham, what, believed God, and it was counted unto him as righteousness. See, it's our faith that makes us righteous with God, not our actions. So God took me back and he says, I'm not saying Noah is perfect in all his ways. I'm saying Noah believed me and I counted him as righteous. Now, why is it important to do that? 
Because when you can reconcile different scriptures together, you get a much deeper conviction of the truth that's being taught. See, what most of us do is we build our faith on one verse. And so if I wanted to get up here in in our production team, they mess with these lights up here, and they've got this scissor lift, and Adam gets up on it sometimes, and you got a safety harness. That thing is heavy at the bottom. It's a, it's a machine built to get you high that keep you safe. And that thing raises you up. But most of us, what we do with our faith walk is we go and we get a chair, and then we stack another chair, and then another chair, and another chair, and we're standing up on the chair, reaching for the light, ah! and then we fall and crash. One person comes and just challenges what we believe, just gives us a little push, and we're just, oh, we're falling down. We're abandoning what we believe. Why? Because we never built a firm foundation. Let me give you a tip today. Never build a doctrine on one verse of Scripture. Never, ever build a doctrine on one verse of Scripture. Jesus said, don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust corrupt, right? And some people have heard that verse and they call into a radio show, I've heard them, and they say, well then, well I don't need to save any money then. I don't need to have life insurance for my family. I don't need to have investments or retirement account because Jesus said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Can I just tell you something real quick? That's dumb. That's capital D, dumb. All kinds of dumb. But the reason people can believe that is because they read one verse and then they go running off and they pass over the 57 other verses that tell you about being a good steward, providing for your family. The Bible says if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. But they don't read that verse. They just read the verse that Jesus said, don't lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. I'm going to Cancun. (laughs) Putting it on a credit card because Jesus is coming back anytime. You never know. He said, don't lay up treasures for yourself. I'm going to live large, baby. Let's go. I'm booking my cruise right now. Capital D, dumb. Because you're, you're building a doctrine on one verse of Scripture. Listen, always interpret Scripture with Scripture. Always interpret Scripture with Scripture. Now, I've got a video or a uh, graphic they're going to put up on the screen for you that's really amazing. It's a visual representation of the Bible. And in a recent talk, Dr. Jordan Peterson shared this graphic. He actually got it from a Lutheran pastor and a friend of his. And what this graphic shows is there are, listen, 63,000... 779 cross-references contained in the Bible where the Bible references itself. Come on, somebody. That is the first hyperlinked book is what he called it. Isn't that incredible? You know, you go to Wikipedia and it's got a hyperlink and you click it and it goes the, and we're like, man, isn't that cool? The Bible did it thousands of years ago. Isn't that incredible? So every, every shade of gray at the bottom is a different book of the Bible, and every individual colored strand is where a verse here in Genesis, back here, references something in Revelation over there at the end. And we want to take one of those and go to Cancun. <laughs> Cheat on our spouse. 
do crazy, sinful things, silly things, dumb things that God never endorsed, but I got one strand. I read this one verse, but we're not referencing all the other verses. Do you see how powerful that is? Almost 64,000 where the Bible references to itself. What does it mean to interpret Scripture with Scripture? It means we interpret the implicit by the explicit. I mean, sometimes you're going to read a verse, and Jesus used hyperbole. He used parables. And sometimes you're trying to figure out, like, what is Jesus talking about here? You're trying to figure out, like, what does this passage mean? What you do is you use the passages that are crystal clear. You don't need a PhD in theology to understand sin is bad, right? God is good. He forgives us through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Like all Christians believe these things, agree on these things. And so you use the verses that are explicit, that are clear as day to interpret the verses where there's a meaning implied. And listen to this, write this down. I would get a tattoo. I don't even like tattoos personally, but I would get this tattoo, okay? Just tattoo this somewhere, okay? Write this down. I'm just kidding. Don't go out of here getting tattoos and saying, Pastor Olin told me to get a tattoo. Man, don't do it. Context is king. Context is king. Beware of something called proof texting. Proof texting is when I go in the Bible to back up my own opinion and I pull a verse out of a passage, out of a chapter to make it say something it was never meant to say. Beware of proof texting. What does it mean to read the Bible in context? It means I've got to understand who it was written to, when it was written. I've got to read the verses before it. I've got to read the verses after it. What was the author intending? What was God saying? Who was he saying it to? What did it mean? I can't cherry pick individual passages out of the Bible and just take one verse and then make it say what I want it to say. That's how cults happen. That's bad. And so beware, don't do that. Don't prove text. Tim Mackey, he's the guy who did the Bible Project. I heard him on a podcast the other day make this statement so good. He said, studying the Bible in context is the only way that I can make sure I'm hearing a voice other than my own. See, when you go and you read the Bible and you don't read it in context, you know whose voice you're hearing? Yours. You're just, getting, you're just twisting the Bible to back up your own opinion. Beware. Don't do that. Let God speak to you. And the only way you know that God is speaking to you, not you speaking to you, is when you read the Bible in context. The good news is the major doctrines of the Bible, they're not unclear. They're very clear. And this is one of those resources I wanted to give you. So if you're writing this down, I'll tell you this one amazing podcast you can go listen to. They actually put it on YouTube for free. It's called Deconstructing Woke Churches. You can go right on YouTube, just type that in, it'll pop right up. Deconstructing Woke Churches. It's not really, it's not about politics per se, but it's Mark, Pastor Mark Driscoll and Nathan Finocchio. You guys remember Nathan Finocchio? We had him here, he did a theology night. Really, really good. But they talk about doctrines that are open hand versus closed hand. So what are the doctrines that are like non-negotiable? Jesus is the son of God, the Trinity. The Bible has authority in our life. It's the, the unerring word of God. Like what are those closed hand doctrines and then what are the open handed ones? What are the, the, the beliefs or the doctrines or the things in scripture that are kind of the gray areas that 
Christians can differ on a little bit. They're usually the small little things. And isn't it funny how Christians spend all their time arguing about the small little things instead of focused on the big ginormous things that would change the world? So we gotta pay attention. All right, number two, pay attention. Everybody say, pay attention. Pay attention to passages that make you feel like you've only scratched the surface. Pay attention when you're reading a passage and you feel some emotion stir, when you feel a spiritual stirring within your heart. Pay attention. Don't just keep reading. Settle in for a minute. Do a little study. For me, that's always been the book of Philippians. I've read it. I love Romans is probably my favorite book, but, but Philippians, for some reason, I don't know what it is. I've studied it. I wrote my paper in Bible college on it, and I just still feel like, man, I've only got like 10% of what's in there. I read it, and I'm like, man, that's good. Like, I'll be at home, and I'm just like in my office just studying the Word, and I'm just reading Philippians going, whoa, that's good right there. Like, I have to get up and just, come on. Like, I'll, just, I'll be in my office sometimes, and I just start crying reading the Word of God. Like, man, that is good. And I've just got to dig in a little bit. Don't just read something and feel something start in your soul and then just go, oh, just keep reading. I just got to get done. I'm just going to keep reading. Don't do that. Slow down. Pump the brakes a little bit. What most of you do, you drive past the Grand Canyon for the first time and go, oh, that's pretty. <laughs> you ever been to the Grand Canyon? Oh, yeah, it was great. I spent like two and a half minutes. The Bible is better than the Grand Canyon. When you get in there, you're going to see some stuff. And let God speak to you. Now, how do we dig deeper? I'm going to give you a lot of how-tos real quick. I'm going to try to go real fast on this. How-to, you need some tools. Everybody say tools. You're going to build a house. Don't do it with your hands. Might need a hammer, right? So we're talking about building. We're going to build on the foundation. What do we need? We need some commentary. Now, what's commentary? Commentary is theologians and pastors giving you historical data or their opinions about what the Word of God might mean to help you interpret a passage of Scripture. Commentaries are great, but let me tell you what my, my uh, kind of mentor in the faith, he was my uncle, he was my pastor when I was really young, and he told me this. I got my first study Bible, and he said, Olin, I think it's great. I was a kid, I was like, Man, probably 11 years old or something. I had saved up all my birthday money, all my money, and it was like 100 bucks, and I bought the Dakes Annotated Study Bible. Come on. The Dakes is a bad boy. I still got, I got two of them. And man, 100 bucks back then? I'm old, y'all. That was like $1,000. That was a lot of money back then. And I saved up all my money. I got this study Bible, and I was so excited to get in that thing, and I'll never forget what my uncle told me. He said, Olin, Eat the meat, spit out the bones. He said, that stuff in the commentary, that's some man's opinion about what the scripture means. It's not the scripture. And so these tools are really good, but eat the meat and spit out the bones. Don't read the commentary to interpret scripture for you. That's what the Holy Spirit's for. But it's a tool to help you. What's the easiest way to get some commentary in your normal everyday Bible reading? Buy a study Bible. Super easy, buy a study Bible. I looked a couple up for you. Aren't those super expensive? Listen, you can go on Amazon right now, get a Thompson Chain Reference Study Bible for 34 bucks. You're gonna spend more than that at lunch today. $34. Thompson Chain Reference Study Bible. There's an NLT Illustrated Study Bible. Fantastic, $38. 
Life Application Study Bible. I've got one of those. Phenomenal for a new believer because it gets you right to the application. What do I do with this? I just actually gave my son mine because he wanted to use it. Great for a young person or a new believer. And so get some commentaries. There's Bible dictionaries. There's Bible word studies, concordances, lexicons. That's where it'll help you with the Hebrew and the Greek because how many of you know the Bible was not written in English? And so get some of these tools. Now here's where I wanted to get to with you today. There is a really cool tool that I use, Pastor Troy uses, a lot of our teaching team uses, and it's called Logos Bible Software. Logos Bible Software. Now, people hear that and they go, oh man, I bet that's expensive. And if you go to their website, they have packages, gold package, platinum package, diamond package that are thousands of dollars. But can I tell you, they have a free version, but they have a base package of that. I just looked at this the other day for you. You get over 100 books and resources. You get a great study Bible included. All these Hebrew and Greek, all these, these different dictionaries and things that you can use to study God's word, 50 bucks. 50 bucks. 50. That is cheap. You'll have better Bible tools than like the church fathers, than the apostle Paul. Like you're gonna have some good stuff. You're going to have some great study tools. And I know what some of you are thinking right now, but I'm going to have to learn how to use it. I'm not good on computers. Ha <laughs> ha, I'm already there. I got ahead of you. See, I'm smart. I'm, I'm way ahead of you. There's this thing called Udemy. Anybody ever heard of Udemy? U-D-E-M-Y, online courses. You can go there to learn about anything. This pastor and theologian did a course on how to use Logos it's called Master Logos Bible Software. You can get it for 18 bucks. So for $68, you can have the best Bible tools in the history of mankind. Incredible. Now, when I was studying to preach today, I made a deal with God. And this was the deal I made. My job today is to rob you. I'm here to steal from you. And see, I've been picking your pocket and you didn't even know. Some of you better check for your wallet. Because I've been robbing from you this whole time. I promised God I would take from you. I would, I would rob you blind of any excuse you could ever have not to study God's word. I promised God I would do that. When they leave God, they're not gonna have any excuses left. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take every one of them. When you get to heaven one day, and you stand before God. Well, God, I didn't know. God's going to go, ah! There was a day in March that good-looking bald guy, I don't know if he'll say that, but <laughs> I'm probably adding to the word there. But you don't have any excuses because that pastor told you, he gave you, you could have wrote them down. Every, and it didn't cost much money, and it didn't, wouldn't take much time. You have no excuse not to know God's word. Last one, pay attention. Everybody said, pay attention. Pay attention to passages that you do not fully understand. Pay attention to passages that you do not fully understand. Matthew 5, 29, Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Man, when I was a young man reading that scripture for the first time, that kind of freaked me out. And then I thought about it a little bit. You know, you take one eye out, so let's say I pluck out the left eye. I can still lust. 
I can lust fine with one eye. So, man, I'm in trouble. Like, I'm going to have to be blind. And then he says, cut your hand off. I'm like, Jesus, what are you talking about here? And when you read a scripture like that, how many of you know Jesus is using hyperbole to make a point that we're supposed to be extreme in how we deal with sin? But when you run into a passage like that, you're like, Jesus, what are you talking about? You got to stop. You got to get stuck. We can often struggle to understand the Bible because, listen, it was written for us, but it was not written to us. See, the Bible was not written to you. It was written for you. Well, it was written to me. Okay, well, let's go. I'll get my Greek in a linear, and I'll pull out the original Greek, and you read it and see how well you get it. Well, I can't read this. It's like chicken strike. Exactly. It wasn't written to you. It was written to other people in another place in another Time, the Bible was written on three different continents over a period of 1,500 years in three different languages by 40 different authors and it's comprised of 66 books. I believe the reason it was created this way is that so no one person was used to write the Bible. This perfect book was assembled from all these different people, kings, priests, prophets, and even lowly fishermen wrote the Bible, inspired by God. God did it. God put his fingerprint on it. Now, I don't have time. It's another message for another day to teach you on the the reliability and the authority of the Bible, but I got a resource for you. YouTube, free, doesn't cost you a penny. Write this down, Why You Can Believe the Bible by Dr. Vodi Bauckham. B-O-D-D-I-E, best teaching on the reliability of the Bible I've ever heard in my entire life. Incredible, and it's free. You can go this afternoon, watch that video. You'll know more about how the Bible came to be and why you can trust it than you've ever known in your entire life. Go there and study it. So we have to have tools to study God's word. And the last question I wanna hit, and then we're gonna kind of wrap it up with some, some inspiration today, but this is a common question. What Bible translations can I trust? I wanna encourage you today. Don't be an amateur Bible translator. You don't need to do that. <laughs> there, there are some great translations out there. And so what English translations of the Bible should I read, should I use? Listen, the good news is they're almost all really good. If you're a new believer, the NIV, the NLT, the CSB, great. Very easy to understand, very good translations. If you want something more like word-for-word word accurate, although that's not really a thing, but I, I know what people mean. If you want something that's a little more word-for-word word accurate, ESV, um, N-E-T, the New English Translation, phenomenal for deeper study. But I've got a resource for you, another video, free. Write it down, Dan Wallace's top five Bible translations. He's a Bible translator, and he'll, he will explain to you the different translations, what they're used for, and how you can use them in your daily life. So the cost. The cost to get stuck in God's word. What's the cost? We gotta pay Attention, guys. We live in a world today where our economy is based on our attention. Look at the Kardashians. They're like trillionaires, right? They don't do anything. But they're great at getting your attention. They make all this money. Why? Because we live in an attention economy. If you know how to get eyeballs, right? That's what the world is about now. And instead of giving our attention to social media and entertainment, I think God wants some of our attention, that's the cost to getting stuck, to getting captivated 
by God's word, we have to pay attention. Now, we don't pay for salvation. Jesus did that. We are saved by his grace through faith. But once we've received salvation, what did our passage today say we we have to do? He says, make every effort to what? Respond. Our salvation is free, but then he calls on us to respond, to build on this amazing grace that he's given us. If I want to get stuck in God's word, I have to pay attention. So what's the point of getting stuck? Why get stuck? Why study? Why why spend an hour in the word instead of just a 15-minute devotional? And listen, nothing wrong with starting there. Maybe you're a new Christian and you're like, man, I don't know where to start. Just start reading. You got to read a little bit before you're going to be able to get stuck. You got to do that. You got to put in a little bit of time. But what's the point? What's the point of study? What's this spiritual discipline all about? Here's the point. We aren't called to become familiar with the word. We're called to be transformed by it. How do we do that? Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. By the renewing, that Greek word is a noun. It's not a verb, it's a noun. It's a process. And here's the thing, when we come to Christ, we don't get a new brain. God doesn't do a brain transplant. The renewing of your mind means you're replacing your thoughts and your thought patterns. You're taking the old way of thinking and you're replacing it with a new way of thinking. It's not about head knowledge. We must approach the Bible differently than other books because it isn't just a volume of information. Reading the Bible in your daily devotion, it's not just about learning about Moses and Abraham and dates and and, and Israel and Canaan and, and all these, you know, facts. It's not a history class. It's not about learning information. The Bible is alive and it has power to change your heart. Hebrews 4 Verse 12 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We have to come at the word of God differently. It's It's not just a book. It's not just about information. It's about transformation. And God's word can transform you if, if, if you will pay. You gotta pay attention. You've got to be willing to slow down. You've got to be willing to dig in. You've got to be willing to spend time in the book. Read this story the other day about a, a father. His son was going away to seminary in Europe. He was really smart, this kid. I mean, he's straight A's, scholarship, like brilliant guy, like IQ off the charts, like super smart. So his son is going to go away to seminary, and the dad, who's a believer, the kid's going to like a seminary program, so the dad's, you know, Christian. He raised his son in the church, but he was really afraid that his son would go off to the semi- uh, seminary. I almost called it a cemetery. <laughs> and he would be talked out of his genuine faith in God. And the dad told him, he said, son, don't let him take Jonah out of your Bible. Don't let them take Jonah out of your Bible because the dad thought the first thing those intellectuals are going to challenge is a man getting swallowed by a fish. Like that story, like they're going to tell you that's not real. They're going to tell you that's not true. And so the son goes away. Two years have passed. The son comes back home. First thing he does when he comes in the door, dad gives him the biggest hug and then he pushes him back and he says, son, 
Do you still have Jonah in your Bible? The son looks at the dad and he says, Dad, you don't even have Jonah in your Bible. The dad went back. Wait, wait, what do you mean I don't have Jonah? I know I've got Jonah in my Bible. And the son said, Dad, you don't even have Jonah in your Bible. And the dad said, I do. I'll show you I've got Jonah in my Bible. And he went and he got his Bible and he opened it up and he flipped and he couldn't find Jonah. He kept searching. He couldn't find it. And he said, see, I told you, you don't even have Jonah in your Bible. And the dad said, I do too. And he went to the table of contents and he found the page number where Jonah was supposed to be. And he went to that page number and there was no Jonah there. And he looked and he noticed some pages had been, had been cut out. He looked up at the sun. The sun smiled. He said, dad, I cut those three pages out of your Bible before I left two years ago. He said, what difference does it make if they talk me out of my faith or you lose yours by neglect? See, the father was so concerned about the son being talked out of his faith, but the father wasn't even turning to the book. He didn't even, in two years, he never went to Jonah once. What is the difference? What is the difference if the world, we look at the world, well, they don't know God's word. They don't know God if we don't know God, because we never get in the book. We never spend time to get to know him. I want to challenge you today. Get stuck. Get stuck in the book. It's glorious. It's worth it. God will bless you. Will you stand on your feet with me today? I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Maybe you've got a hunger for the book. Maybe today's an excited something in your soul to say, man, I want to read the word. I want to study the Bible. I want to know more about this God who loves me. Final thing I have to say, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The number one thing you need in order to be able to get stuck in the word of God is you need the Holy Spirit. You need God himself living active in you to guide you through his word, to teach you his word, to speak to you every day. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're never gonna understand the Bible. It's closed off, it's sealed away from you. But if you want to know God, if you want to be able to open the Bible and God show you his love and show you his truth, what you have to do is you have to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If that's you today, if you're joining us online and you say, man, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the book. I want want the Bible to be open to me. If that's you today, we want to pray a prayer of faith with you so you can receive the gift of God's grace, salvation through Jesus Christ. If that's you And today you say, man, I want to know God. Would you just lift your hand up right now? We're just gonna say a simple prayer of faith. Amen. Amen, I see that hand. I see that hand. Anybody else, just lift your hand up right now. Those of you online, there's a button you can click in the chat. Amen, I see that hand. Amen. We're gonna pray this prayer together and I believe the Holy Spirit is gonna empower you like never before. He's gonna open his word to you. Father, we just thank you for your spirit in this place. Thank you, Lord. Your spirit is here today. You're going to do a work in people's hearts right now. Right now. Thank you, God. 
Everyone, let's just repeat this prayer together. Let's just say this by faith. Say, Father, I believe your word. Please open it to me. Give me eyes to see. I believe in Jesus. He is my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, with power, so I can understand, so I can know you like never before. I receive that by grace, through faith, and now I'm going to build on it. I'm going to build on that firm foundation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on. Can we?